morning, Missionites. Uh, this is Listen Local, and you are, uh, and my, <laughs> excuse me, my name is uh, Julian Mark, and I'm your host. Um, today, um, we are uh, with Joe Eskenazi, our columnist, and uh, he's joining us to talk about uh, a, a planning commissioner uh, decreeing the, or excuse me, decrying the Department of Building Inspection, uh, a cancer on this city. Welcome, Joe. Are you there? I am here. Um. Joe, um, how are you doing today? Things are good. This is a wonderful ride here on the back of the 49 uh, Van Ness. Uh, and uh, what, do you, what do you see on the back of the 49 bus today? Well, I can't talk too loud. Everyone's here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so you, uh, as I understand it, you stayed up rather late last night. I mean, they seem to think it was late. This, I, mean, I mean, for them... I felt like Dennis Richards, the planning commissioner in question, could have stayed up a lot later. It's not unusual for a planning commission to go in the wee hours arguing about the wainscoting on a cottage or, or various <laughs> measures. Uh, but it was late for the Board of Appeals, and this was uh, one of many cases they were hearing. But this particular appeal uh, in which a sitting planning commissioner who is himself doing a project in the city has uh, had uh, all of his permits revoked by the Department of Building Inspection, uh, which leads to accusations of retaliation and, and rampant corruption. Um, this went about two and a half hours just on its own. Um, and by the time it was done, it was close to 11 p.m. in City Hall. Wow. Uh, could you just, you know, just describe uh, who is Dennis Richards? What is he? What is his deal? Sure. Dennis is uh, a sitting planning commissioner. Uh, he, uh, does not come out of the building or planning world. My understanding is that he's a, uh, a young retired tech guy, uh, who, who made his money, uh, I believe with Salesforce and now is, uh, able to, uh, to, um, uh, to, to spend lots of time as a planning commissioner, uh, on the, on the, on here in San Francisco at issue is a house on 22nd street, which is from 1899, a four unit Italiante mansion, uh, that he and a business partner purchased in 2018. Uh, and have done extensive work on uh, and are hoping to sell. Uh, it's on the market now, actually, for, for a huge turnaround profit. So, so uh, it's, it's safe to assume that, that Dennis Richards is, is pretty well off. He's got enough money to, to, to pursue his case to whatever end. And that's going to become uh, important, Julian, because Dennis Richards has vowed to sue the Department of Building Inspection. And I get the feeling that while um, he feels uh, inconvenienced at the very least uh, uh, by uh, the, the goings on at this project, that he uh, alleges rampant ongoing decades long corruption and he feels like enough is enough and that he has the means and the uh, energy to root it out. And I'm not saying that he's right there, but, you know, this is it's like Willie Brown. People have been charging corruption for years, but the investigations have come up empty for years. So what I'm trying to understand here is why, how is there a tension between a guy who approves buildings and the department that ultimately has to inspect them at some point? I mean, what? Well, the allegation is, is very clear in the brief <clears throat> is that uh, Dennis Richards claims that this is a specific retaliatory act because of his outspoken uh, statements about uh, DBI ineptitude and acquiescence on uh, a project on 18th Street, uh, which is handled by what he calls, uh, you know, politically favored developers. Uh, that was an egregious uh, case in which somebody without permitting uh, built an extra two stories, I believe, on a building uh, and also hauled off 882 cubic yards of dirt. And uh, somehow the Department of Building Inspection didn't notice this while it was happening. 
so, you know, there are certainly allegations that um, that that wasn't just, you know, uh, that was more than just not noticing. <laughs> These are just allegations right. at this point. So Dennis was and, and other planning commissioners as well was very outspoken about this. And among his other comments, which are all said in the public record and are viewable now in recordings, is that he'd lost his faith in the DBI. Um, uh, he, he, you know, alleged that it was more than just ineptitude. And he called for a city attorney investigation. He's claiming that it's been spelled out to him that uh, if he were to go easier on, on, on that project, that his problems would cease on his own project. How? Something that, you know, even the even the commissioners yesterday at the Board of Appeal, who were all very professional and very staid, uh, they had less interest in the conspiratorial allegations than they did with, you know, how can we make this right? How mm -hmm. can we get this project into compliance? Mm -hmm. But they seemed mystified by the speed of it all. Uh, anonymous complaints came in the DBI on the 27th of September, and by the 30th, all the permits had been revoked. You can't die that fast in this city. Right. I mean, <laughs> that's that's an that's an amazing thing. It's not like the building was teeter tottering on one two by four here, you know. Right. Again and again, uh, particularly <clears throat> Commissioner Rachel Tanner asked, you know, the Department of Building Inspection, where's the big safety hazard here? Where's something that mandated that necessitated, you know, this extreme action? You know, which which of these many violations, all of which were to a degree legitimate, uh, that you've alleged here is the is the safety one? And and she was told every violation is a safety violation, which was, you know. Not really an answer. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, you have Dennis Richards. I mean, for for a small portion, granted, you know, making some of these incendiary statements about a city department. Uh, did any of their representatives directly respond to this, or any did any representatives respond to the brief that he had filed with the Board of Appeals? To a degree, they were much less interested in the allegations for of of corruption, uh, and they were actually even to a degree not focusing on uh, what is another salient allegation that this is selective enforcement and um, and, you know, far, far, far worse cases uh, have, have not had this happen. That did come up. Mm -hmm. uh, they were more just focused on why are we here, which is something that one of the commissioners said. Why are we here? These problems, you know, you everyone says there's problems on site. The argument is over how extreme they are. Why can't you just come up with some manner of, of plan and, and, and come up with some manner of permitting and get it fixed? Right. Uh, so the question here is, if you believe Dennis Richard's side, uh, that's what they've wanted. Uh, they claim the DBI stonewalled them uh, long enough that, that their only option was to file this appeal because there's a deadline date by which you must do it. Uh, and they didn't want to give them any viable options until they, you know, push things to this level. Uh, and, you know, now everyone's going to have to behave rationally while one side is accusing the other of wholesale corruption. You know, why can't you just work with the police? You know, that kind of thing. You know, it's, uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I can say that Dennis Richards' side was pleased that the Board of Appeals has inserted itself into the process. And they feel that level of oversight is going to ensure uh, a fair uh, process. And, of course, the DBI denies. Right, right, right. Uh, I, I make clear the DBI denies that this has been a matter of bias or wrongdoing or anything like that. And did they, did they spend much time saying that? Did they, you know, come yes, out swinging? Yes, they, uh, the DBI did not make allegations uh counter allegations okay but did they <laughs> you know, did they say you know what did they what did they say about dennis richards's allegations they didn't talk about fight club oh know? i see uh, I you see. know i mean uh, they they let him make those allegations and it did kind of come out of nowhere i'm not going to comment on the validity of dennis richards allegations but you know it was though the 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 facts on their face as argued 
in the Board of Appeals hearing were not the kind of thing that would attract news coverage or any coverage at all. <laughs> in fact, in, during, an, during an earlier case in that same docket, you know, the, the uh, president and CEO of the San Francisco Giants had, you know, uh, had uh, challenged the deck addition to uh, his neighbor, you know, <laughs> and, like, and that's the kind of thing that you, that's the kind of thing that you expect, right? So, uh, so, you know, <laughs> the, the allegations when, when removed of context are not that exciting. They're not that sexy. It's, you know, talking about, you know, people arguing about how, how well planned something was in, in a, in a house that's being, uh, uh, revamped and, and sold for great profit, you know, but the allegation that this is all a manufactured controversy because of, um, you know, endemic corruption and an out and out conspiracy, you know, colors that a bit. I, you know, you can, you can definitely sort of dodge this question if you want, but I, you know, just based on your reporting for so long in the city, I mean, have, have there been tales in the past of the, from this, of this kind of behavior from, uh, from DBI? Does it have perhaps a reputation, uh, for, yes, yes it does. Okay. Absolutely. But, you know, it's there's never been anything substantiated. Right. You know, the, the allegations that the, of rampant corruption are longstanding. Uh, but, you know, it's it's never been never has there been uh, a serious uh, finding that would that would uh, that would you know, that, that has put it in black and white. So so now now where does I mean, I guess this is not as important, but where does uh, Dennis Richards's um uh, where do these permits stand at the moment? I mean, will the Board of Appeals overturn the revocation of the permits or? Well, in 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 essence, it kind of did. Um, oh, OK, they they didn't proactively do so. But by continuing the case and by the case being in this, uh, you know, in this in this situation, they're suspended as opposed to revoked. And, you know, that's, you know, Functionally, that means the same thing, other than the fact that it, you know, you don't require thousands and thousands of dollars and and you know uh, surrender some of your rights. Um, you know, uh, it's a procedural thing. One of the allegations that Richards had was that they they felt they were being cajoled into saying, "Okay, we're revoked. You know, give us give us the your plan to fix things," which which would you know forfeit a lot of leverage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, with them suspended, you know, you can work out something together. I think. If look, the big if is if everyone wants to be a rational player here, you know, uh, this can all be fixed. But that's the the allegation is 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 beyond that. If everyone was being a rational player, the president would have been impeached and imprisoned. You know, like there's 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 allegations that that there's political motivations here, and that the facts are uh, you know are are not as relevant as that. Well, um, Joe, that's uh, you know interesting story, and and thank you for staying up to produce it. I think it's um, you know. It's uh, it's it's nice, uh, good city drama. Um, I understand that you know during the um, crisp uh, during the Thanksgiving break or maybe shortly before, you ran into an interesting character at um, in the Bart station. And uh, what was she doing? Uh, she was reading in French. And you know why did you? Uh, I mean, I saw this woman, uh, but I didn't stop. I just kind of went on my way. Why did? Why, what what caused you to to stop and say hello? Uh, well, I mean, I'm not going to give you a hard time and I'm certainly not going to question your journalistic news sense on the air, but, uh, but, you know, part of, part of the privilege of being a journalist is to stop and ask people what they're doing. And, <laughs> um, you know, it is your business, you know, it's, it's your business to ask the cops why they're all in front of your neighbor's house, or it's your business to, uh, to, to ask people like what they're digging for in the street. 
you know, and in this case, you know, I didn't want to interrupt her too much because she was reading, as it turns out, she was reading um, uh, Swan's Way, the first of uh, first seven volumes in uh, uh, Remembrance of Things Past uh, in Search of Lost Time. Uh, but, you know, it's, you see a lot of strange things in the BART station, but that one is fairly distinct. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, uh, I handed her a business card and, and, uh, and then, you know, a few days later, um, we, we corresponded and I was able to meet with her and talk to her. And her name is uh, Natalie van der Linden, uh, and she is a Belgian uh, who moved to San Francisco six years ago and has decided that she's going to read uh, all of uh, Swan's Way um, uh, in public, uh, largely in, in BART stations. Uh, parks, you know, uh, museums. <laughs> yeah. What does she what does she look like? I mean, and how, sorry, uh, I, I've missed is, how old she is. Uh, I didn't ask that question, but she did mention to me that she is of average height for a, a woman born in Asia in the 1970s. Because, okay. Uh, that conversation came about because uh, about 25 years ago, she had a gig at Euro Disney where they would have her play Chip or Dale. Wow. Uh, and they, you know, that's a part you get when you are of a certain height. So I'd say, how tall do you have to be? And the answer was, I'm of average height for someone born in Asia in the 1970s. And uh, so there's there's some clues there. Miss uh, <laughs> Vanderlinden is by day a chef in a Japanese restaurant here uh, in the city, or yeah, yeah, here in here in the Mission, in fact. Oh wow! And um, you know, um, a um, you know someone who is a uh, uh, at one time an aspiring actor, but uh, studied film uh, in Belgium. And uh, obviously has a taste for, for the dramatic and, and, you know, wants to share this with the world. And, uh, you know, it, this, this was a fun story and it was linked to by the Los Angeles Times, which we're grateful for. But, like, oh. you know, Ms. Vanderlinden is also very grateful because, it, you know, I think that she appreciated uh, that people uh, in turn appreciate what she's doing, which you don't always talk to a art performer. You know, you don't, you know, some, you might put a dollar in the basket, but you don't say, I appreciate what you're doing. Right. So she 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 uh, she was grateful about that. And, you know, it was it was it was, uh, you know, even if you don't read Proust or know of Proust, it, I think it was it was it was worth thinking about, you know, what drives people to do things like this. And what did drive her to do something like this? I mean, yeah, I think, you know, for someone like Ms. Vanderlinden, who um, obviously has a uh, creative side, um, but, you know, like so many French speakers and, and without getting into too many personal details, I know many of them, mm -hmm. uh, uh, they have and, and uh, maybe there's a difference between the attitudes of French people and Belgian people. But there is um, kind of a self abridging nature that people feel uh, from France that they can't communicate in English when they're their language skills are actually superior to almost any Americans uh, because they understand uh, how language works so well due to the nature of, of, of French speaking and how French people are taught to speak and write. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, they well have accents that immediately uh, people will assume, oh, you're not from here, or you're a greenhorn, or you don't know what you're talking about. But that, that, is, that is not the case. Uh, just because someone has an accent doesn't mean they don't understand everything and speak superior English. Um, and that's the case here. I think her English was was quite good. However, she herself is not secure with writing poetry in English or 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 doing dramatic things in English. And many, you know, she said, "Well, I'm writing poetry, but no one can read it here." So this was something that she could do that was very public. And now she's also working. She's contemplating uh, reading um, things in English in the new year in December. In December 19th, she will read uh, Swan's Way from cover to cover in a 19-hour performance uh, in Brussels. That sounds difficult. It 
well be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that the logistics of it is something that she's yet to quite work out. But, you know, you do need to get up and use the bathroom every once in a while. You know, when people, even the Guinness Book of World Records, whenever they have people doing marathon performances, uh, I think people are allotted a five minute break every two hours or something like that, you know. I see. Uh, so, so that will be worked out. But, you know, if you're a New Yorker subscriber, recently there was a uh, New Yorker casual about the actress uh, Alia Shawkat who uh, did a 24-hour performance where she did um, a semi-improvised uh, argument uh, with a hundred different male actors. Wow. Uh, where it was largely the same script, though there were variations. Uh, so it would be like that. Well, but less fatiguing even. What is, I mean, who is Proust even? And, and, and what is Swan's Way about? I, I understand that, that perhaps it's, it's kind of a classic French uh, storyline. It's the classic French novel. And it's, it's widely observed as the, you know, the, uh, one of the formative novels of the first half of the 20th century. Uh, but it's very hard to summarize Proust. In fact, there was a Monty Python sketch about this, about the difficulties of summarizing Proust. <laughs> uh, when you look at the summaries, which I can admit, I have not read Proust. I've, I've read some of the great literature, but I've not read Proust. <laughs> it's very difficult to summarize. The themes are very fleeting. And uh -huh. you know, uh, the cast of characters, you know, when you, when this person does that person, and then he goes for a walk and he's frustrated and it, it, it's, it's easy to write off as, you know, um, as, as facile and soap opera like, but that's obviously not the case or it wouldn't be, <laughs> right. you know, it's, uh, that's, um, that's what happens when you read a, a summary of something that's very difficult to summarize. Um, I, the, the summarized Proust competition, I was disappointed. It's very hard to find that Monty Python sketch on the internet. Um, and I will say that the punchline, uh, while funny, uh, is not a punchline you could put into uh, into humor today and and not get dragged. <laughs> it, I did, I did read your piece though, and it was, it, you know, you did a, a t attempt a summary, which was a man. Well, I was told my summary was inadequate. You know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, su suffice to say, it's the the first many pages involve uh, a lot of digressions and and you know kind of joycey and stream of consciousness uh, that could be hard to parse and famously the uh, the french writer andres guide um uh had a hand in turning proust down from a famous publishing house because he thought who could get through this right and then you know later he had a second thought and said it was the great mistake of his life oh wow uh, but you know that would be a justifiable first reaction and so, you know, that was Ms. Vanderlinden's first reaction as well. And uh, she had difficulty getting through it for years and years and years until she finally put her mind to it. And now she's read it several times and she's reading it to us in public. And how did she did she uh, specify, you know, why she, you know, of all books, she wanted to read this book and she wanted to share this book with everybody? You know, that's a good question. Um, I'm sure there are, as, as noted, there are other books that she is planning to do this with. Oh, right, in the future, right. But, but certainly it was, um, I think it was the difficulty of this one and the fact that so many people have started it and such a, you know, a, a smaller number have finished. Mm. It, is, it is a, a book that is uh, hard enough. And I think the, um, the, the behavior of its most ardent fans uh, only is, makes it more intimidating, you know. Yeah. Well, Joe, you know, thanks so much for that story. It was so unusual and interesting and delightful. And um, if uh, listeners, you haven't read it, please uh, check it out on, on Mission Local.
Uh, Joe, uh, I know you have a meeting coming up, and I know you're uh, headed towards uh, Jim's restaurant on Mission Street. Um, thank you for thank you for joining us, and uh, I will uh, I'll see you soon. My pleasure. Okay. A good rest of the show to you. Okay. Bye. Bye bye. Well, that's all we have for Listen Local. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, my, my name is Julian Mark. I'm the host, and uh, you just heard Joe Eskenazi. Uh, tune in two weeks from now. Take care.
Thank you.